going back there? You want to swing it on that bell? Three in the bell, yeah. Yeah, all right. Oh, it's 100 degrees. What do you got, a crutch?
she was oh, are you going to hug me today? Like five minutes before that, you say, hug me in the room. Well, it was her dad overheard her. What is his name?
you see me amongst the boughs here? <laughs> How festive. It feels really funny. <laughs> yeah. Center of the wreath, you might say. Tis the season, anyways, isn't it? That we celebrate our Lord's birth. I have seen something under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned. But time and chance happen to them all. Ecclesiastes 9:11. Today is our communion service, and as is our custom, following uh, the morning worship, we'll take a little break and regather when you hear the music, and then there'll be no choir rehearsal and no evening service. Uh, today. Men's Bible study Tuesday 10 um, at the McLeods. No prayer meeting this week. I, I suspect that that's because of choir rehearsal and that's the next one there. Um, new Days of Praise booklets uh, along with Acts and Facts are here on the table in the foyer. That would be directly behind the mead, behind the baptistry in the foyer. Please make use of those. Carol Atwood's uh, birthday party, uh, December the 16th, so that's coming. Um, please RSVP today, uh, so you can call or text Tanya. Uh, last call for items on the shelf that might be yours. Somebody's going to clean up, I take it. So <laughs> take a look on your way out, and if anything there that you've forgotten or whatever, just go ahead and take it. Christmas concert. December the 17th, let me see, that's two weeks, right? Two weeks, 3 p.m. Uh, it's the matinee. It's, it's matinee at 3 p.m., so, uh, and again, as always, we'll be furnishing refreshments, uh, and we usually have a pretty good gang here. What, how many do we usually have? Is it about 100 or so? Something like that, give or, give or take 100. So, just so you know, that's... Compared to our normal gatherings, that's quite a few. So, All right, uh, tithing envelopes, uh, again, are here uh, with a sign-up sheet and instructions. I have not read those instructions, but um, uh, if you can, uh, make it the same number as you've been using so that we can do that. So, All right, any announcements that I've missed then today? Very much, thank you. Yes, it's very nice, thanks for the decorations. All right, so uh, if you're visiting with us, I think you all have been with us before. Uh, if you haven't filled out the little card, you can do that and drop it into the offering thing, but welcome, and we pray that you'll be blessed for having been here, and I know you've been here before too, so. All right, uh, I think that's it. Then let's look at our uh, scripture for meditation, and that is a responsive reading in uh, Trinity, Psalm 147. Uh, page number 839. 839, Psalm 147. If you'll stand with me, we'll read together. Praise the Lord. How good it is to sing praises to our God. How 
The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the exiles of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. The Lord sustains the humble but casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make music to our God on the harp. He covers the sky with clouds. He supplies the earth with rain and makes grass grow on the hills. He provides food for the cattle and for the young ravens when they call. His pleasure is not in the strength of the, ho of the horse, nor his delight in the legs of a man. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their soul in his Extol the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. For he strengthens the bars of your gates and blesses your people within you. He grants peace to your borders and satisfies you with the finest of wheat. He sends his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He spreads the snow like wool and scatters the frost like ashes. He hurls down his hail like pebbles. Who can sustain his icy blasts? He sends his word and melts them. He stirs up his breezes and the waters flow. He has revealed his word to Jacob, his laws and decrees to Israel. He has done this for no other nation. They do not know his laws. Praise the Lord. Amen. Bless the reading of his word. Phil, would you open for us this morning? Almighty Jehovah God, our Lord, our Father, we come to you this morning in praise and adoration that you have given on a cross your Son to die for our sins. You have taken us from the pit of hell and destruction. You have set us at your side as your children. And Father, we praise you for all of this. Father, we ask many things. We come to you in praise, yes, but we also come with afflicted hearts. Afflicted hearts for our loved ones, for our spouses, our children, our parents, siblings, even acquaintances, oh Lord, that you would touch their hearts and raise them up, breathe life into them, and give them salvation. Father, we come to you Set in practice many years ago, you ordained it like you ordained all nations. And we pray, Lord, that your hand would intercede in the goings on of this great nation of ours. Bring a revival. Bring the hearts to peace. Convict those, O oh Lord, that are without you. Slay the hearts that they may understand that their sin is taking them to destruction. Ask as we continue on in this service that you would be with our pastor as he brings forth the message. That his message brings comfort to those, Lord, that have lost in their lives recently and even times past. And Father, that his message would also be 
remain standing. Good morning. Take your red Trinity hymnal and turn to number 617, 617. My anchor holds.
Mm. We have a favorite hymn from the congregation. It's about this time. Mercy. Go tell on the mountain. Do you know what number? Perchance, no, we'll just look real quick. Do you know? Two twenty four in the red. Two two four. Uh, do we have the number? Two two four. Do you have a reason why, Mercy? I was just thinking about it. You were just reading this morning is from Ecclesiastes, the ninth chapter, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 12, page 1044 in the Pew Bible, Ecclesiastes 9, 1 through 12. Ed, you're on for this month. If you'll stand with us, we'll read together. 
The words of wise King Solomon. So I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands, but no man knows whether love or hate awaits him. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good man, so with the sinner. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of men, moreover, are full of evil and there is madness in their hearts while they live and afterwards they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even the memory of them is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. Go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart for it is now that God favors what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life and your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might, for in the grave where you are going, there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no man knows when his hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net, or birds are taken in a snare, so men are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Take your red hymnal again, the Red Trinity, and turn to 689. <clears throat> Six, eight, nine.
once again we return to this wonderful book of Ecclesiastes, which has not only the wisdom of Solomon contained, but since we believe in inspiration, this is the very word of God. In our last study, we considered the, the pain of financial stress. Volatile economics for the needy poor. We talked about that. Oppressed, often taken advantage of by those in authority. Job enumerated a number of wrong perpetuated against the poor. Everything from moving boundary markers so the rich could confiscate land to taking a widow's only ox as security for a payment to forcing the poor to forage for food in crop-depleted wildernesses and picked over vineyards. That sounds like something really abusive. Oh, yeah, go out into my vineyard. It's already been gleaned a number of times, but eh, see what you can find. Maybe some rotten fruit is still left on the ground. Even, says Solomon, snatching a baby from a mother's breast to pay off a debt. How cruel could that be? All of this and more continue in our day. The wheeler dealers are still working their intrigue to get rich through wicked schemes. Nothing's changed under the sun. We also looked at the volatile economics for the ambitious wealthy. They have their troubles too. We listed four stress factors. Number one, insatiable greed. Say, well, that's their problem. Yes, it is, but they deal with that. Never being satisfied with money that they have amassed. They're always looking for more, always looking for more, always looking for more. Secondly, goods that they do have, they come and go, right? And the owner being satisfied with what? The produce of his labor? No, he just gets to look as the parade passes by. What comes in goes out. In economics, that's called pass-through. They're looking for a profit, but it isn't there. Three, sleepless nights. Why? Because they're worrying about their money. They're worrying about their fortune. And then number four, wealth hoarded or lost through some misfortune. That happens too. Stock market crash, a business goes out of business, and so on and so on. We dealt with help for the financially stressed. Put God first. And then the necessities of life God will give to you. Number two, be biblical about material holdings. What, I, what do I mean by that? I mean that things wear out. They become obsolete. They're going to rust. They're going to rot. Things don't afford you security. And finally, remember none of what you earn or save will buy you or accompany you to eternal life. It's all wood, hay, stubble. First Corinthians talks about destined to be burned. You better have something more in your life than material things. Well, today I want to talk about the pain of sudden loss, which is very real. Yeah, real to me, and I'm sure real to many of you as well. 
but there's a remedy, praise God. So let's come to him and ask for his help. Lord, send your spirit upon us that we may learn to trust you in all things. These are difficult times, and we need your grace. Please supply as you see fit. May Christ be held up. May he be magnified. We come not only in his name, but also to bring glory to his name, to show in our God what we have that the world does not have. Bless our study and our time together. Minister to our hearts in a spiritual way. Strengthen us for the day in which we live. And may Christ be magnified. Amen. We're looking at the subject today, the hurt of sudden loss. And you'll notice in your bulletin outline that the best made plans are, <laughs> I, could, I could have said it that way, our best made plans are doomed to frustration. Everyone knows that life in this sinful world is not easy. What is more, we know that bad things are going to happen to us, even if we are the people of God and under his watchful eye. Sometimes God himself ends, uh, sends us rather trials to test our faith or to refine it as he did in the case of Job. And I'll have some more to say about Job. Or the Apostle Paul. What about that thorn in his flesh that he prayed three times for God to remove and it never happened? What about David and the rebellion of his very own son, Absalom? Wow. What about Elijah? Had this glorious victory over the prophets of Baal, and what happened? Jezebel set out to get his life. That's what happened. What about the apostles? They were beaten a number of times, New Testament, in Jerusalem for preaching the gospel, and were told time and time again, stop doing it, and they refused, saying it's better to obey God than man. Part of what we do here on a Sunday morning is to point you to the sufficiency of Christ to meet all of your trials in life and to encourage you to be faithful even when bad things come. Paul certainly told it true when he wrote, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Well, I hope that's true. <laughs> I hope we're patiently anticipators. Romans 8, verse 22 and following. What I think is interesting here is that Paul depicts creation in a state of perpetual childbirth. 
groaning as it were, for the baby that has not yet arrived. What baby? Well, the final, the full, the redemption of creation, which will occur when the believer's body is made anew at the coming of Christ. Creation awaits this because apart from the believer's redemption, none of this is going to occur. The new heaven, the new earth, center around what Christ has promised to his people. You, me. You say, that sounds like we have a key role. <laughs> yeah. As recipients, we do. Participants, yes, we do. But the promise isn't fulfilled yet. We hope for it. We anticipate it. It has not become the reality as yet. He says it this way. If we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. Like creation, the baby hasn't arrived yet. Until it arrives, we groan. But our groaning is with the anticipation that the baby's on the way and will arrive at God's good timing. One of the things to do while we're waiting is to make plans to lessen, uh, as much as possible, to lessen the sudden surprise events which cause us loss. Probably everyone listening to me this morning has purchased a life insurance policy or a catastrophic death policy. We do this to lessen the effect of sudden loss. If I die suddenly, I do not want to leave my family with a huge mortgage debt. No, I want the house paid for to provide for family after I'm gone. People buy homeowner policies to protect their properties from unforeseen catastrophes. Hurricanes, tornadoes, a fire from an electrical short, a tree fall on the roof. The government even pushes flood assurance for us people that don't live anywhere near water. What is this? Well, all of it is pre-planning for the unknown. We do not know what loss we'll, we will experience, but we're almost 100% sure that some loss is going to come our way. Why are we so sure? Because we live in a cursed world in which judgment for sin is seen everywhere in a groaning creation, and we experience these losses ourselves. Well, I ask the question, how good, how successful is our planning? The overarching principle to keep in focus is found in Proverbs 19, verse 21. It says this, Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. Ooh, that's a good thing to keep in mind. Now, this is not a prohibition against planning, but it is saying that after you have made your plans, after you've done all that you can do to hedge yourself against uh, the unknown, 
It's the Lord's purpose that's going to prevail. In other words, you cannot plan yourself around the will of God. You cannot change your future because of your plans. Proverbs 16, verse 3 and following puts it this way. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. Ah. The Lord works out everything for his own ends, even the wicked for a day of disaster. In his heart, a man plans his course, ah, but the Lord determines his steps. So I'm saying your plan will not trump God's will for you. Because we are not omniscient, because we do not know everything there is to know, it's best that God sometimes frustrates our plans. I hope you believe that. Let me read it for you. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. Thank God. <laughs> wow. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations. Psalm 33, verse 10 and 11. Remember that the wicked are planners too. They are. But their plans never grow out of seeking and submitting to the will of God. And that means they have a sinful agenda in their plans. So much the case that David said, to God, hide me from the conspiracy of the wicked, from that noisy crowd of evildoers. They sharpen their tongues like swords and aim their words like deadly arrows. They shoot from ambush at an innocent man. They shoot at him suddenly without fear. They encourage each other in evil plans. They talk about hiding their snares. They say, who will see? They plot injustice and they say, we have devised a perfect plan. Surely the mind and heart of man are cunning, but God will shoot them with arrows. Suddenly they will be struck down. Psalm 64, verses 2 and 5. The arrogance of the wicked keep them from factoring in the intervention of God in their plans. They treat him as a non-entity who does not see what they are scheming. Isaiah wrote, Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in darkness and think, Who sees us? Who will know? <laughs> you turn things upside down as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, he did not make me? Can the pot say to the potter, he knows nothing? Isaiah 29. Verse 15 and 16. Hopefully, prayerfully, 
as believers, we certainly do not want to make evil, godless plans. But sometimes, sometimes our selfishness and arrogance gets the best of us, and we proceed with ventures that almost, almost, I say, seem to treat God as pagans do. We do not consult God in our planning. Or we begin to think that our plans have covered all the loopholes and we need not rely on divine intervention. Even when we have committed our ways to the Lord, we have to be open to change from God. Job put it this way, My days have passed. My plans are all shattered, and so are the desires of my heart. Job 17, verse 11. Righteous Job. Listen to him. My plans are all shattered. One might reason that since Job was a just and upright man, that any plan he had would have God's purpose in the forefront and I think likely it was so. But we do not always know the purpose of God, even when we have the Bible as our guide. Listen to Paul's letter to the church of Rome. He says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I planned many times to come to you but have been prevented from doing so until now in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among other Gentiles. Romans 1, verse 13. Now, wait a minute. Didn't God appoint Paul to preach the gospel to the Gentile nations? And the answer is yes. Wasn't Rome the heart Of the Gentile world. Well yes it was. Didn't Paul's plan. To come to Rome. Fall into the expressed will of God. Yes. How then. Is it that Paul. Was many times prevented. From carrying out his plan. To sail to Rome and preach. The answer to that is. That God's timing wasn't right. What? Yeah, his timing wasn't right. God's providence had a different passage to Rome planned for Paul. What? In a ship as a prisoner making his appeal to Caesar. That was on the agenda that Paul didn't know about. You see, God has many ways of accomplishing his plan, and his ways may interfere with your plans. Though in the larger sense, your plans may be good and right, but the timing's off. So I say again, the best made plans are doomed to frustration by God. We never know when he's going to frustrate our plans. But you need to be prepared for that in your mind. Secondly, God's plan for his people will include surprises, sudden loss. It's obvious, for example, that Job's estate plan included a vast amount of holdings in livestock. 
Now you have to remember here, this was the day when there were no insurance companies. There was no New York Life. There was no Mutual of Omaha. If you uh, wanted to provide for your wife and children, you had to self-insure. People who are in business for themselves know about this. My dad was in business for himself. He had to self-insure. Now in Job's day, you did this by amassing tangible assets. So Job did this. His inventory is given in chapter 1, verse 3. Listen to this. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, so that's 1,000, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the east. Say, wow, was he loaded. Yeah, but he had 10 married children and their families on the farm for whom he was responsible. So let's get real here. His holdings were massive, but all with a plan to provide for his wife, his 10 children, and their families. But having said that, unknown to Job, God had other plans. Plans hidden completely from Job, never really explained to him. God would have Job become the test case of a man of faith, a man of righteousness, who served God out of love for him and not because God made him rich. A lesson Satan knew little about. So the surprise, the sudden loss, Job could never have planned for, occurred at the hands of Satan by God's permission. In a day, in a day, 24 hours, he lost all of his material goods, thieves came in, most of his servants, all of his children, for whom he had amassed his estate. This was a loss he could not foresee and which no insurance policy could rectify. Observe what Solomon says in our text, verse 11. I've seen something else under the sun, he says. The race is not to the swift <laughs> or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 11. The items stated in this list are all things for which people plan, aren't they? A race demands running techniques to make a person swift of foot. Out on the track, they will be practicing building speed and building endurance. Battles are won by being stronger than the enemy, right? So you need to be physically and mental, mentally prepared. Food doesn't just grow on trees and fields. There has to be some wise agricultural knowledge. When to plant, the soil preparation, that's all, all of that. And finally, wealth is not simply a matter of being a brilliant businessman with an excellent grasp of market trends and so on. 
A lot of billions of dollars have been lost in the market. All this pre-planning is good as far as it goes. We ought not to just leap before we look. Faith does not mean we shift our brains into neutral and fail to reason through a certain course of action that we are contemplate, contemplating taking. Solomon is not against planning. God is not against planning. But the splinter in the finger which no one plans for and which no one is able to plan for is the universal truth Solomon states in the last phrase of verse 11. Time and chance happen to them all. What all? Well, all the planned for activities that are mentioned in this verse. The race, the battle, the food, the wealth, the favor to the learned. Lance Armstrong, seven times winner of the Tour de France, Tour, Tour de France rather, cycle race, in France, entered the Ironman Triathlon when it was brought to Florida's Lake Eva. The triathlon is a 70.3 mile race consisting of swimming 1.2 miles, biking 56 miles, and running the last 13.1 miles. I'm tired just thinking about it. <laughs> There were 1,800 professional athletes competing. All who had planned and trained for this race. All in top shape for the grueling ordeal. But all the planning and training notwithstanding, time and chance would have it that the first leg of the race, the swimming, had all the contestants standing in water by the docks wherein a highly toxic substance was concentrated. Unbelievable. The legs of the contestants began to burn and tingle and go numb. What they discovered was, and I read up on this, a chemical called, I hope I say it right, aquathol, a deadly toxin that has numerous warnings on its label, one stating toxic to mammals. Well, human beings are mammals. Aquathol is absorbed through the skin, the eyes, the mouth. It can cause permanent tissue damage, especially to the eyes. What swimmer do you know that doesn't get water in his eyes? Think about that. There was also some mention in the literature of blood problems with severe exposure. Well, the race went ahead as scheduled, and Lance won by pushing through the pain as he's known for doing in the other competitions. This aquathol is used to control unwanted algae and aquatic plants. But it has to be avoided by all mammals, including human beings, for a period of 7 to 25 days after its application. Well, the race was held only nine days after the application. Who knew? <laughs> the race officials did not know. The park officials knew, but they weren't talking. Time and chance positioned 
all these top athletes in the same location for a race they were well prepared for, but they were exposed to a toxin no one was prepared for. This is life, brethren. It's life. This is your life, not just the life of athletes. All your careful planning notwithstanding, time and chance, we say the providence of God, time and chance, the providence of God will throw you a curveball that you were not expecting. It will come suddenly, often without warning, and your plans will be shattered as with Job's. Then what? It happened to our family with Gomet's death in August. When that happens, do you get angry with God? Do you give up on God? Because everything did not go as you had anticipated. Or do you push through the pain all the while knowing and claiming God's promises. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 8 and following. Paul writes, Since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whatever we are awake or asleep, we live together with him. Yes. Can I say it this way? God's plan supersedes and overshadows your plan. And God's plan always has your good in place and his glory in place always now even when things like this happen to us and here's this point of application God helps us for our sudden loss And I would say it this way, not exemption from sudden loss, but sustaining grace. Not exemption, but sustaining grace. The lying preachers on television would have their hearers believe that once they become a Christian, their ship is going to come in. Their health issues will disappear. Money will pour in to pay for every need, even for luxuries. They will advance in popularity, in power, in prestige. You know, none of this is true. None of it's true. 
None of this can be supported by the biblical histories or the biblical principles. Job was wealthy beyond your wildest dreams. I read of his holdings to you. But time and chance changed all of that. In a day, he was faced with unimaginable loss for which he had all of his material wealth. He could rect rectify nothing. It was all taken away. And certainly no amount of money would have brought back his children had his money still remained. The false preachers would have you believe that when you become a Christian, you are exempt from sudden loss like this. But God says otherwise. The Bible portrays God not as one who is guilty of Satan's lie. Have you not put a hedge around him, said Satan, and his household and everything he has? You've blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and his herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hands, strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face, said Satan to God. Job 1, verse 10 and 11. Satan's lie says, God builds hedges around his people, the believers, so that nothing bad can happen to them or will happen to them. Everything will be opulent and secure. This is the lie of the false teachers of our day as well. Peter, speaking of the false teachers of his day, describes them in this way. Listen to what he says. These men, says Peter, are springs without water. <laughs> whoa, whoa. Springs without water. Mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty, boastful words. And by appealing to the lustful desires of sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. If you have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. Second Peter 2, verse 17 and following. We would say it this way. Oh, they promised people the moon in God's name. And they deliver wood, hay, and stubble. The appeal is to the flesh. The appeal is to the cravings of sinful man. Wealth, power, health, good times. Out to capture the gullible with fanciful lies. Of course, they have auditoriums filled with 100,000 people. Who wouldn't love to hear a message like that? Come to Jesus. And you get all the toys. Ah, but Job understood God and his true nature. What was his true nature? Job says it. Hey, 
the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Job 1, verse 21. Job did recognize God's hand in the giving of his great wealth and his large family. But he also recognized God's hand in the taking away of these things. And even more importantly, he tells us that in either case, God's name is to be praised. And God's commentary on Job was this. In all this, Job did not, did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Better watch that one. Job 1, verse 22. In other words, it wasn't wrong, it wasn't sin for God to take away all of Job's possessions and family in this sudden and unforeseen loss. Why? Because God owes us nothing. That's why. All the good we receive is grace. It's all grace. That means it's not deserved. Job was not exempt from life's sudden and catastrophic events. And God does not exempt us. What he does is sustain us. This was Jesus' prayer, was it not? We're studying this on Sunday nights. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, speaking of his disciples, but that you protect them from the evil one. Job 17, verse 15. We want to be free from temptation. We want to be free from seduction and ruin. But God says, I'm going to leave you in the world. But what I will do for you is protect you from the evil one. I'll put Satan on a leash. He'll do his work, but I'll be in control. What's that? That's Job all over again. Elijah had a glorious victory over Satan and the evil prophets of Baal. But in the end, Jezebel, the queen, sought his life. And he was afraid, admittedly <laughs> so. He ran, he fell into a blue slump, saying to God, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covet, broken down the altars, put up your prophets to death <coughs> with the sword. And I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. 1 Kings 19 verse 14. And God said to Elijah, Uh-uh. Not so. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whom whose mouths have not kissed him. Paul pleaded with Jesus to remove the satanic demon who was his tormentor, tormenting thorn in the flesh. He prayed three times about this. But God refused all three times. And instead he told Paul, 
My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. I am saying to you this morning, you will not be exempt from sudden or catastrophic loss, but you will be given grace to endure. Amen. And then secondly, God has this marvelous way of bringing good out of bad. Satan can bring worse out of bad. When Job did not break spiritually because of all his material loss and the loss of his family, Satan said to God, well, skin for skin, a man will give all he has for his own life. Job 2 verse 4. And so God gave Satan permission to escalate his attack from taking things that belonged to Job that he cherished to attacking Job directly. You know, Satan can always think of something more evil to do to you. But only God can bring good out of bad. And isn't that what our scriptures say? We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Romans 8, verse 28. Paul writes, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that sufferings, that's the bad, produces, here's the good, perseverance. Perseverance, character. Character, hope. So suffering becomes a blessing in the hands of God. Again, he says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs all of them. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. What Satan means to be our loss, God means to be our salvation. Then he says in verse 16 of that same chapter, Therefore we do not lose heart, Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. You've heard the expression, never judge a book by its cover. Well, here's another one. Never judge a Christian by the external trials he or she is undergoing. The world might conclude that God hates you. When the reality is, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent, Revelation 3, verse 19. Or again, in Hebrews 12, verse 10, God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. Why is holiness important? Verse 14, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So God brings good out of bad. And then thirdly, whatever you experience of sudden loss, Christ makes up for it. 
Not only is Jesus the replacement for your loss, but he knows how to bring salvation from the loss. Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus across the Jordan that their brother and Jesus' dear friend was very ill. Jesus delayed coming on purpose. There was no rescue. Lazarus died, and his two sisters were already mourning. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. John 11, verse 19. Don't we do the same as the Jews? Don't we attend funerals to be a comfort to the family member who has lost someone they loved? That's all we can do. And as comforting as it may be to have friends share your grief, Jesus does something more. Oh, much more. He can say to the grieving sisters, as he did, your brother will rise again. John 11, verse 23. And when Martha thinks, oh, that Jesus is talking about oh, the resurrection morning at the second coming. Yeah, I know that's coming. He corrects her. Here's what he says. I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Can we not get you from thinking about what you know theologically of the future and the coming day of resurrection... Can you not hear what I'm saying to you? I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? In other words, resurrection of the dead is not a date on the calendar somewhere in the distant future. Resurrection is here and now for all who believe. Jesus is the life you need. He makes up for all your loss. Friend, family, real estate, finances. He came to this sinful world to seek you, to find you, to give you life and life more abundantly than you have ever experienced. When Lazarus walked out alive from his tomb, his sisters experienced a greater love, a greater appreciation for him and for the Lord than ever existed before he became ill and died. You better believe it. Wow. They went through the loss. They came out of the loss on the merit and the power of Christ. And we need to do the same. You need to cast your sins and your hurt and your anger and your fears, cast them all on Jesus and watch as he becomes more precious than all your loss. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of this mighty Savior that ministers to us in so many ways, not just in the physical maladies of life, but the spiritual ones that come and wreak havoc with our mind and our heart and cause us to doubt and fear and 
recoil and to wonder what God's up to. Lord, help us to see what you're up to is our good and your glory. And it all centers around the Savior, Jesus Christ. What a wonderful Savior. We're going to celebrate him, Lord, in the next uh, service here in a few minutes. As we eat of the bread and drink of the cup, we remember what it costs God to reconcile us, to bring us into the very courts of heaven and make us your children. Bless our time together, we pray. Amen. From Trinity Hymnal number 472. That's the red hymnal number 472. I love this hymn. It's a great hymn. If ever there was a hymn of the free offer of the gospel, this is that. No conditions laid down here, just the truth. Come, sinners, poor and wretched, weak, wounded, sick, sore, doesn't matter. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, joined with power. He's able, he's able, he is able. And not only that, he's willing. <laughs> Doubt no more. Let's stand together and sing.
And that's why Peter said there's salvation in no other name given among us, given under heaven, whereby we must be saved. It's only Jesus that can do helpless sinners good. Amen. Well, we're going to take a 10-minute break and regather for our communion service. So we are dismissed right now.